that when people come to make peace with us who were formerly at enmity, that we would be peacemakers as well. I know sometimes that people hurt us and we don't want to make peace and we don't want to receive people and we don't want to forgive them. But if you've been forgiven by Jesus, God has forgiven us way more than we ever need to forgive another person. It's hard to forgive someone who did you wrong. Even though you've forgiven them, it's still difficult to become friends with them again after what happened. Burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. But that is the essence of godly behavior, as Pastor Daniel will be teaching today. You'll hear in the scripture passage today of someone who was treated poorly but did not retaliate. He then reaped the benefits of his godly behavior. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 26 as he continues his message, Blessing Jacob. You married guys, flirt with your wives. They like that. It's a good thing. If you're not married, don't go flirting. I'm just going to leave that hanging there. But you married guys, I hope you're flirting with your wives. And I hope you flirt with your wives so people see it too. It's not a bad thing. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. And God loves love in a marriage. He loves that. God's into that. So it's interesting. You can imagine Abimelech. You wonder why he was looking through the window at Rebecca. You know, that pagan but he looks and they're sporting. That's what the word in the Hebrew means. It's a good translation, showing endearment. He was flirting with her, sporting with her a little bit. Quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. In verse 10, and Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife. You would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. See, this is the problem when Christians act in a way that is against what God asks us to, is we put people in a position of temptation. That is why God holds us accountable for our lives. When we act in a way that is not in accordance with God's purposes and plans for our lives, what ends up happening is is we run the opportunity of stumbling somebody else because we're messing around. And that's why I was like, look, one of these guys could have came and tried to marry her or taken her to be his own or whatever. And Abimelech is so concerned about this that he says, look, if anybody touches this man or his wife, they're going to be put to death. Now, look at what happens from here. It says this in verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now, this is classic right here. This is classic grace right here. 
We just found out that Isaac is a liar. And now it says that he got prospered by the Lord. I mean, over and over again in these verses, God blesses him. God prospers him so that he became very prosperous. And then verse 14 is the Genesis version of a diversified portfolio. In our day, it would be he had stocks and bonds and annuities and precious metals. That's what that means. So this is classic grace. Isaac does not deserve it, and God prospers and blesses him anyway. This is why grace is so scandalous to people. Because God could lavish his Holy Spirit upon people who are not deserving of it. And so many of us have gotten saved by grace and are trying to be made perfect by law-keeping. Like, I do this thing, and so God's going to bless me. No, listen, God blesses you because God is a blessing kind of a guy. Never because of what we do. We don't get extra blessings from God from the things that we do. We get blessed by God because of who God is. Grace is thoroughly undeserved, unearned, unmerited, all because of what Jesus did. And that's why, isn't it so hard for us sometimes where you're walking with the Lord and you're doing your best to walk with him and you see somebody who isn't really doing their best to walk with him and God's still blessing them? And you're like, Lord, what is up with that? You ever ask that question? I remember when I was a single guy and I was just serving the Lord. I was a single pastor and I watched my single friends getting engaged and stuff. I'm just like, Lord, I'm preaching, Lord, like planting churches, I mean, Hello? You know, it should be my time, Lord. Because I thought that I was going to preach my way into a godly marriage. Not trusting God who blesses despite it all. Isn't that the gospel? But do we really believe that? How often do we try and play chess with God for blessing? Lord, if I do this, then you should do this. That's classic law keeping. I am blessed because I do X, Y, and Z. The gospel is, I am blessed because of what Christ did for me. And that's straight through our Bibles. All right, Isaac, we just found out he's a total liar. And he's being prospered by God. So much so that the Philistines are envying him. Now in verse 15, look at what it says. It says, Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Now look at what envy does to somebody. Now, they're living in the desert. This is before the day and age of public water systems. And if you dug a well and you found water, that was a really good thing in that culture. But they envied them, so what did they do? They were stopping up the wells. That's what envy does. Envy makes you do dumb things. I mean, you needed water in the day. I mean, we need water today. It's an important application that we ask ourselves, Lord, why am I envying somebody? You know why we mostly envy somebody? Because we believe we deserve what they have. 
We believe that we deserve what they have. And I always think of what Jesus said to Peter. Because Peter was like, well, what about John? And the Lord said, don't worry about John. You follow me. And we spend so much time, especially in a culture like America, where we are pumped with advertisements. I mean, our economy runs on us buying things we really don't need. That's what it is. So we're constantly taught that what we have is not enough, that we need something more. And it's so easy to look at somebody and say, I want what they have. And that's classic example of us not appreciating what God has given us. Rather than looking at what someone else has, Jesus says, don't worry about them. You follow me. You follow me. Don't worry about them. They have to be faithful with what I have on their plate. You need to be faithful on what I have on your plate. You don't need to be faithful with what they have on their plate. We're each responsible for what's in front of us. And so what happens is, is they're maligning him. And then they say, listen, you got to get out of here. They banish him from their sight. So look what happens in verse 17. It says, then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. In verse 19, also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. And the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they quarreled with him. And that word Essek literally means in Hebrew, quarrel. Verse 21, then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also and they called that name Sitna, which literally means in the Hebrew enmity or strife. Verse 22, and he moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. And that word Rehoboth literally means spaciousness or vastness. Now, I mean, think about what's happening here. God is blessing Isaac, even though the Philistines and the people of Gerar banished him from the land. Everywhere Isaac goes, he's finding water and they're thinking to themselves, hey, you know, we want that. And they keep fighting with him. It's amazing. They should have just made an allegiance with him and just said, listen, every time you find three wells, can we have one of them? It would have been logical, right? They would have had water and he would have had it in abundance. But every time he tapped a well, he found water and they were fighting with him over it. Finally, Rehoboth, they find a place where they can be blessed. Now, in verse 23, then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. It's beautiful. He ends up in Beersheba, and God speaks to him again, blesses him again. I am the God of your father, Abraham. Don't fear. I am with you. I will multiply and bless your descendants. And what does Isaac do? 
He worships. Isn't that what we get in verse 25? Isaac simply worships. He built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. I pray for us as a church that we would be worshipers. That we would stop and praise God for who he is and what he has done for us in Jesus. I believe that worship, not just when music is playing in the sanctuary, but at all times is the key to living the life that God designed for us. Because worship is never situationally driven because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you worship, and when you have a heart that is overflowing with praise to God, no matter what happens, it's a blast. I remember when I was, I must have been walking with the Lord really strong for about a year. And I remember I was just walking down the street. I was living in the Bay Area. I was walking down the streets of San Rafael. So if you know Marin County at all, San Rafael is like this little city right in the center of central Marin County. And there's a cool downtown. And I was just kind of bopping down the street. I was just enjoying the Lord in my heart. I was just so happy. And it wasn't for any reason other than that God was just totally awesome, super fun, you know? And I was just enjoying who God was. And I remember I wasn't paying attention and I tripped on the sidewalk, just straight. You can imagine this, right? Me just like, yeah, this is great, you know? Before earbuds, I was just, I was just, in, and I totally face planted right in front of a bus stop. And there was people sitting at the bus stop. And I just remember I popped up and I was like, <laughs> I just face planted. Isn't God so good? And I just kept walking. <laughs> you guys can envision this in your mind, right? You see, most often if you face plant when you're walking down the street and there's people standing there, you get all self-conscious, right? But not when you're worshiping the Lord. Because you're like, God's so good. And Jesus died on the cross and I'm an idiot. How awesome is that? If we would just stop to offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Like you break your arm and you just be like, Lord, thank you I didn't break my face. You blow out a tire. Lord, I thank you that I didn't blow up my engine. You blow up your engine. You say, Lord, thank you for the car that I just had. And I can't wait to dust off my bicycle. I love, see... All through the Bible, we find these worshipers, people who are just making much of God. You know, worship is worth-ship. We make much of whatever it is that we see to have worth, and there's nobody more worthy, infinitely worthy, than the sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise from our lips than God himself. And would to God that he would ignite worship, white-hot worship in our lives that we would be worshipers, that we would just enjoy all that God is for us in Jesus. And that's what Isaac is doing. He's just praising God. He's worshiping just like his father, Abraham. Now, in verse 26, look at what happens. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Fickle, the commander of his army, and Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and you have sent me away from you? And they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So he said, let there now be an oath between you and us and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm 
since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. Now you are now the blessed of the Lord. Now you got to love these guys because they banished him. They didn't like him. And now they come and say, we sent you away in peace, brother. Talk about revisionist history. But notice, they see God's hand on their life, and they just don't want to mess with Isaac. And this makes me think of Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And that's exactly what we see here. They say, listen, let's make a covenant. Let's have no issues between us. You are so totally blessed of the Lord. We want to be part of your team, bud. That's what they're asking. And notice in verse 30, so he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. And they said, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. And Sheba literally means oaths. And it says, therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day, which literally is the well of the oath or the well of the seven. When Esau was 40 years old, he took wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they were a grief in the mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, I love this because these men come to make peace with Isaac and he makes a feast for them. And would to God that when people come to make peace with us who were formerly at enmity, that we would be peacemakers as well. I know sometimes that people hurt us and we don't want to make peace and we don't want to receive people and we don't want to forgive them. But if you've been forgiven by Jesus... God has forgiven us way more than we ever need to forgive another person. And that's why Jesus say, if you do not forgive, then you are not forgiven. Because if we can harbor unforgiveness against somebody, it shows that we really don't grasp what God did for us in Christ. The chasm that our sin created between us and God is way greater than the chasm that someone sins, no matter how horrific they are between them and us. That's the gospel. Now, they send them away. We find they have more water. And then all of a sudden, the scene shifts. In verse 34, and it says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basimeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Now, it's cool. Judith is a cool name. We know lots of cool Judiths, especially Judith Thicklet. She's our women's ministry person here. But I wonder where the Basimaths are. So again, little girl names. You have a little Basimath, good name. You can call her Bassie the Lassie. I don't know. I just <laughs> notice setting the stage for what's going to happen next, of course. Notice that Esau, when he's 40, takes two wives and they were a grief to the mind of Isaac and Rebekah because he's marrying the people of the land. He's becoming unequally yoked. That's what goes on now. We move into chapter 27. Look at what happens. Now it came to pass 
When Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son and said to him, my son, and he said to him, here I am. Then he said, behold now, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So Isaac is preparing himself for the end of his life. And so you have to think that a considerable amount of time has elapsed now between chapter 26 and 27. But ultimately, Isaac's eyes are growing dim. He can't see. He doesn't know how many days he has left, but he realizes he doesn't have as many days as he had before. And he calls Esau, his son. He says, son, come here. Listen, I'm old. I want to bless you. Go hunting and make me some of that good food that you make. And if you recall, back in chapter 25, we find out that Jacob was beloved by his mother, Rebekah, because he was a mild man, and Esau was loved by his dad because his dad liked the food. And so now we see he's saying, listen, go out, go hunting, make me some grub, and I am going to bless you, Esau. Now, verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. Verse 6. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Now let me make a point here. Eavesdropping always gets people in trouble. Remember? We saw it with Sarah when the visitors came. She was listening in to a conversation that wasn't hers. There's nothing worse when you hear part of a conversation, right? Rebecca here is, she's listening. She's like, I'm hearing what's going on. And she decides she needs to get involved in this. So look at what happens. It says this, verse six. So Rebecca spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, bring me game and make me savory food that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there, two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food for them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. Verse 11. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. So you see what's going on here. Rebecca wants Jacob to be blessed. Isaac wants to bless the older son. Now, don't forget that both parents know the prophecy that they received, that Jacob was going to be the recipient of the blessing. But what's going on is, in a sense, Isaac is being disobedient by wanting to bless his older son. This is real. Isn't it true, though? Isaac received loads of gifts from these rulers after Isaac had basically deceived them. In the earthly way of things, that shouldn't happen. It should be the other way around. But this, as Pastor Daniel explained, is what grace looks like. And you've seen that in your own life, in that God has given you salvation through Jesus, which you had no way of earning or deserving proving God's generosity. 
everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will conclude his teaching, Blessing Jacob. We're going to hear about the last deception Jacob is going to pull on his brother Esau and his father Isaac. You're going to be reminded of the perils of eavesdropping as well as of parents having favorite children. But through it all, the promise that God made to Isaac and Rebekah is going to come true. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Patriarchs. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.